Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host, and I'm also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. Last year, we talked about this series that we were going to do within the Inside Scoop called Raising the Whole Child. And this is part of the Raising the Whole Child series. Now, if you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they live in another city around the world. But in addition to that, I offer my own personal opinions on different things regarding youth soccer and life. And I also want to bring in experts who actually know what they're talking about uh, in this series of Raising the Whole Child. We spend a lot of time talking to experts with uh, that focus on our younger children, because I happen to have two boys who are really young, but also bring in guys and girls who focus on the very end of the spectrum. I guess you'd say the proverbial uh, end of the rainbow, whether it be in the college ranks or professional. And we have one gentleman here uh, today who is a member of the Facebook group and a personal friend by the name of Stuart Flaherty, and he's going to educate us on sort of the college, soccer college recruiting, especially when you get into those really high caliber academic um, type programs, because he is a coach at the uh, Dartmouth College men's program, right? And so he can kind of talk us through sort of that Ivy League recruiting and then college rec soccer recruiting in general. And then he's also going to help us sort of start uh, understanding in general how some of these college ID camps work. And I got to tell you, Stuart, I got my, um, you know, I got my license in coaching and my uh, PhD in uh, all things youth soccer on Facebook. And when you talk to people <laughs> about college ID camps on social media, you get two different extremes. Either you have to do it. If you don't do it, you're missing out. And as a matter of fact, you may want to even squeeze in there in the eighth grade, or you get the other extreme, it's a total money grab, don't waste your time. And so what I want to do is have a measured conversation through the lens of someone who is actually um, participating in one, helped start one, definitely going to be there just to really understand what your particular college idea camp, uh, ID camp is all about, soccer academics and then help our parents, especially those ones who are um, sort of that junior high heading into high school, who are just trying to figure this stuff out, how should we be thinking about it? So Stu, so welcome to the Inside School. Uh, please introduce yourself and tell us about the, uh, the program and then I'll hop into the questions. Yeah, first of all, it's real, real surprising that social media would divide its topic into two extremes, huh? Yeah, And, exactly. and everybody fight over it, that's new. But um, yeah, I um, I come from England originally. I did a uh, sports science degree, sports psychology master's in England and wanted to pursue the coaching field. And my best opportunity in 2005 was a girls high school job in Cody, Wyoming, which was quite the uh, culture experience to move out there. And have since in the, uh, wow, I feel old, in the 16 years since the Cody job, I've worked in uh, MLS Youth Academy, uh, PDL, which is now known as USL League Two, uh, NCAA Division Three, Division Two, II, Division One, 
and you know any any incarnation of ten or twenty youth leagues um, at the Premier and Academy level in different regions. So I've uh, I think what has really helped me in the college recruitment is I've seen both sides. I've recruited for Division One, Division Two, and Division Three schools, and I've also sat there as the college liaison for the Portland Phoenix Premier Club in Maine for eight years and help kids go Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three on the outside looking in, if you will. So I've very much looked at this from both ends of the, of the glass. So, yeah, so you talked about coming over here and starting off in high school and then working your way through the ranks, and, and that's very interesting. But what brought you to the States in the first place? Um, it, so being honest, it wasn't um, America as such. It's my reality in England was I was a full-time teacher. I was teaching sports psychology at Loughborough College. And I was a part-time coach. You know, I was working 50, 60-hour weeks teaching and marking and lesson planning. And then I was doing five sessions and a game a week. And I really loved the coaching. I did, but I had to work all day to get to the coaching. And, you know, what life gave me an opportunity in Cody was to move over to America on only a six-month contract, so it wasn't a lot of security, but to put all my time and energy into coaching a team. And I just remember thinking, you know, I'm up until midnight here doing sessions I'm up on a Sunday night watching the game back on video like imagine how well I could do this if that's all I had to do and that was really the attraction I applied for jobs in Australia I applied for jobs in England I applied for jobs in different parts of Europe I applied for jobs in America but um yeah the, the best opportunity the world gave me was uh was Wyoming I was very grateful for it and we've capitalized on it and I've enjoyed it here but I don't think if I'd be being honest if I told you that I was plan A was to come to America and make this happen. It's kind of, you know, have the path that uh, I've been sent on. Yeah, and we shared that in common. I lived in uh, London for over, uh, over a decade, and it was the same thing. I went over there for a one-year contract. Next thing I know, I came back with two kids and a wife, so I get it. <laughs> All right, so now, Stuart, before, uh, before we jump into it, all right, so my, lo I, my loyal listeners know that I really overanalyze things and I really want to figure things, I like to figure things out. Yeah. I just did a podcast, okay, where I effectively said or argued or um, put out there that you can't compare U.S. youth soccer. You can't make a one-to-one -one comparison to U.S. youth soccer and the prices that we pay for pay-to-play pay two grassroots in the exact same way. And what I argue, and, and it's based on nothing, that's why I want to talk to some people who may have some perspective, and then we're going to jump into the show. Sounds like a fair argument, but keep going. Yeah. Okay, what I argue was the product that U.S. American parents are demanding, present company included, forget about how good the coaching is, let's just assume it's good for the sake of argument, the product that we're demanding is um, academy level training for your average kid. I argue this is not something that parents in England, it, it doesn't even cross their mind. You're exactly, because you're exactly, they, they you're would exactly never, right. Yeah. Yeah. So let me just say this it's not even in a judgmental way, it's just that they don't perceive this as something that you would pay for. They only look at it as you're going to play for your local team. 
And then if and then if they notice that, oh, you're really into it or a coach notices it, they might talk to the parents and say, why don't you come and do a trial with the academy? But it's not something that we for, they would formulate and say, I'm going to pay money for this four-day-a-week program that's going to be in all these different tournaments, and I'm going to get some of the best coaching. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, there is a big illusion. I mean, I started playing soccer at eight. I was probably in my... Probably in college before I had video analysis, part of my coaching experience. I was probably 17 before I had a coach that was fully licensed by the FA. And I would say the first decade of my playing was 80, 90% volunteer parent coaches, very limited drills, very run-of-the-mill drills, and then over 50% of the session being supervised gameplay. And another huge cultural difference in England is there is good coaching available. Like where I'm from, I'm from Middlesbrough. So you've probably got 30, 35, 40 teams like South Bank, Mask, and, you know, who, well, whoever. And Middlesbrough is just better than them. Nobody competes with Middlesbrough. Nobody tries to play against Middlesbrough. Nobody tries to take players from Middlesbrough. Everyone's well aware that if your player is good enough, Middlesbrough will come and get them. And then when Middlesbrough comes and get them, that's celebrated within the club. So when you get to Middlesbrough, you get top-end coaching by coaches who are paid in a Middlesbrough academy that runs at a loss of about 300 grand a year. That is less than 1% of the kids in the area. Now, the thing is with America is inclusivity is big. So a lot of people who say they want the European model, if they were met with the reality of a very small handful of players in the state, 20 or 30, having access to a top level of elite coaching that wasn't available elsewhere, that would be a huge issue. Be a big problem. But that's England. Uh, that's kind of how it is. And are there, are there some satellite schools starting to start up around where you can get elite levels of coaching that aren't academy, yes, it's a pretty new dynamic in England, but guess what? You pay for it. So now you got England going on the road towards the USA while the USA is trying to head down the road to what they think England is. So I think you're onto something. Yeah, so I, I, so I effectively said, I explained this to my son who listens to the podcast in the car. I said, listen, the challenge that we have is our top, so if we were in England, all you and all your friends, y'all would be playing rec for $100 a year, a season. Pretty much. But it would be really, really competitive. And me, Mr. Ultra Dad, would be coaching. And your coaching would be good, but it would be based on me investing so much time learning and then, and then I would have played, right? So that's the difference. That's the difference. Yeah. And it's a hard thing. It's no right or wrong. It's just a cultural thing. It's just so different. Yeah. And I don't know I how think we... the, big, the biggest obstacle, Neil, is a is a widely accepted belief about how things are in England when things aren't actually like that in England. So essentially, essentially you're chasing a ghost when you're looking for the, the ideal system, you know? Exactly. So we'll continue this conversation. I may invite you on to specifically talk about that and then talk about U.S. soccer in general. Yeah. Uh, but now let's get on to the ID camp. Okay. So give me the 50,000 view, bird's eye view of college recruiting in the States as you know it right now. 
College recruiting in the States. Wow. That's a lot of different <laughs> things, right? Because there's different kinds of recruitment. And people don't want to don't want to admit that because everyone has kind of a uh, the way they want recruiting to play out and you want the coach to come and knock your door down and identify you and then you know you live happily ever after at your dream school. That's a real small percentage of kids that happens to. And there is a belief that, you know, that's the good kids and then the bad kids have to go knocking. Well, I did a podcast myself for my psychology with Noah Paravicini two days ago. And Noah is a professional now. He plays for Charlotte Independence. And Noah says in the podcast, I can even send you the soundbite if you want to put out on your Facebook. Yeah. He came to the Dartmouth ID camp because he didn't play academy. And he found that the schools that he wanted weren't coming to find him. So he made a real effort his junior year to go out to these schools. So I met Noah at the Dartmouth ID camp when I was coaching Bates in 2014. And Noah went out to the Washington Huskies ID camp. And all of the D1 schools that Noah got interested in, he drummed it up himself uh, because he was fortunate enough that he had the time and he had the means and the resources. And he went and he put himself on fields in front of these coaches. But they didn't come to his games and they didn't come and find him. And if he was waiting on the schools that to come and find him, it was a handful of D3 schools in his area. And this is a professional player now. You know, and another experience I have is Wyatt Omsberg, who's, you know, decoration-wise on paper, Dartmouth's best ever player. Wyatt played for me at the Portland Phoenix in Maine. And there is a perception that club soccer in Maine is not that good. So Wyatt was always battling that. So Wyatt ended up coming to the Dartmouth ID camp and I was here all four days and he was tread a certain way in the first couple of days and he was taken much more seriously in day three and four. And Wyatt is now a two-time Ivy League MVP. He is a uh, first-round MLS draft pick and he's a fourth-year MLS pro who started for the Chicago Fire last weekend. This is a kid who had to come to a camp to get noticed. And this is a kid who was told no by more than 20 D1 schools. So there really is no college pathway you know, it takes some real persistence and it takes some real resilience and it takes some real acceptance of reality. And what I say is don't go about this of identifying people like me or you or who you think might know and say, what levels are you going to play D1, two or three? That's a very limited way to do things because people are wrong. You know, and if, if think about the most scouted league and the most advanced scouting metrics I've come across is the NFL. And how many times in that draft is the best player, the first player picked? Not much, yes. man. Not much at all. So now you're going to go to youth soccer who watch less and study less and start getting human opinion on where your son might play. I would suggest that's limited. Call your daughter. So you should be going to the tournaments, going to the games, going to the leagues. And when you reach out to schools, reach out to all of them. D1, D2, D3, Power 5, bottom end. Top D3, low D3, whoever, just get the word out there. Get the name out there. And then what you allow yourself to do as time goes by is pay attention. And if we go 18 months down this recruitment journey of playing at tournaments and playing at camps and the only responses you get are D3 schools, that's not me telling you that your son or daughter is a D3 player. That's the world telling you that that's where your options are. And people, you know, if all 200 D1 coaches are wrong, then that is what it is. But you should be paying attention to where these feedbacks are coming because there is a difference between a generic camp email and an individualized email. There is a difference between an email and a phone call. 
There was a difference between a phone call and a campus visit. Uh, there is a difference between going to watch your game and you never hearing from them and going to watch your game and then picking the phone up and calling you on the Monday after. And you should be, as a parent, watching this happen and start to guide your son or daughter into, hey, man, these are the people who want us. And what happens in the Ivy League, which is fine, is we might not want a kid, but they want to come to Dartmouth anyway because the Ivy League's life-changing. That's fine. But it's good to be honest with yourself and not just say, okay, we want to go to Dartmouth, so we're going to play soccer at Dartmouth. It's, all right, Dartmouth aren't showing a lot of soccer interest. This school over here is. We want to go to Dartmouth anyway. We have to be okay with not playing soccer. And if we're not, then you need to be directing your efforts to the schools who are putting time and attention into you. I would say as a sophomore, go anywhere you want, because I think a good advantage of, let's say, you know, I'm going to name a school, UNC, big school, right? If your son has a dream of UNC, go put him on those USC, UNC fields for a week. And he plays four or five days in front of those coaching staffs. And you've done it now. And if they let you walk off campus and there's no interest, I believe there's something quite enlightening in his, hey, man, we gave ourselves a shot. We were out there playing, you know, maybe we were top 10, maybe we were bottom 10. We know now. But then when we get to the junior year, now maybe when you pick ID camps and events, you focus it more and weight it more towards people who are investing time and energy and effort into you. And by paying close attention to this, you're going to start going down the right lines as to what schools you should be pursuing. Okay, so let me, okay, that's good information. And, and, and I understand that. You know, cast a wide net. You don't know what you don't know. I do know enough to know D1, D2, D3, and soccer especially doesn't always align directly with the caliber of soccer, sort of like how uh, football, you kind of know a D1 school versus a D3 school sometimes. But soccer doesn't work exactly like that. It can't just be an administrative designation from what I understand. So don't just don't just say I got to go to D1 or nothing else. No, I mean, what, what, I, what, I, what I see, because I, I was a D3 head coach, remember? Um, I was in the NESCAC, which is, you know, it's with Amherst and Tufts and Williams and Middlebury and Bates and Borden and Colby. It's outside the Ivy League, some of the best academic institutions in the country. Yeah. And I didn't have any problem getting high, high-level players to want to go play at Bates College and turn down low-end, mid-major D1s because of a vastly superior education. So it's definitely not all the good players signed D1 and then the rest trickle down. There's another dynamic of playing D2 where between international financial aid and academic money and merit aid, there is often a situation where a D1 school might offer a kid a 10% scholarship athletically and a D2 school might be able to make school almost free. So then you get people picking D2 when they've got the ability to go D1, but the life situation is better D2. So yeah, there's there's all kinds of moving pieces that move us away from this reality of all the good players in D1 and all the good players in D2 and all the third level of players in D3. There's, it's not that simple. I mean, are, are the best teams in American college the top end of D1? Yes, but there is some in, interlap in three divisions. Okay, so let me deal with some blocking and tackling for a second. Your freshman year, what in general are you doing as part of the recruitment process? And it could be as simple as nothing. Yeah, not much, man. Not much. Your freshman year, 
Um, think of it through the college coaches' eyes, right? You know, they're recruiting juniors. When they're not recruiting the juniors, recruiting the sophomores, do they read emails from freshmen? Yes. There's not a lot of urgency, man. There really okay. is. Um, so I would say I always go by the foundation and then what you can add to the foundation. The foundation your freshman year is, and the reason I say this is a lot of parents don't manage to do this, keep the presence, keep the focus, keep the enjoyment, have them enjoying the game and getting better. Because if you introduce too much anxiety of the college process, everything I've just said gets watered down. And you see a lot of people go, oh, yeah, that's cool, I get that, but this. And the last thing you want is anxiety. The last thing you want is your son or daughter worried about something that may or may not happen three years from now. Yes. You know, and because it's it's a dangerous slope. You know, what we battle in college as coaches is we don't want players to care. We want players to treat practice sessions the same as the games. See preseason games the same as midweek games. Treat midweek games the same as Ivy League games. Treat regular season games the same as postseason games. So if this constantly raining in a focus, and if a kid has went down a four-year road where they've always kind of put everything into their soccer, but not really, because when they get to college, it's going to be they're going to really try. Then you kind of mess up the mindset of a player early doors. So keep that presence, keep that focus, keep that enjoyment. And then I think a couple of ID camps are a good idea because something's going to happen. Honestly, Neil, not really. But what I think is good as a freshman is you sort of really stretch yourself. Yes. You put your freshman in an environment where they're running around there with juniors and seniors who are hyper psyched up and they've got all these external factors like college coaches with the logos on and the clipboards and these, you know, every, every kid on their team is somebody new the venue somewhere new a lot of these stresses they see them early so then two three years in the future when they're now in the recruitment window they've become very much desensitized to that environment and also when you go back down from that environment back to your club practice with the freshmen things will slow down a little bit certain type player might seem a little smaller maybe not quite as fast not quite as intimidating and I've, I'm always a believer in that. There's not the fluidity in America that there is in England, but I'm a big believer in moving kids up ages and bringing them back down, exposing them to higher levels of competition and speed and strength, and then bringing them back to have some success with it. And I think on a small scale, ID camps do allow that. And there is a very real energy about these kids when they're in a showcase environment. Okay, so that's good to know. All right, so freshman year, focus on your, focus on the foundation and focus on what you can control and enjoy the game. You got all your life to worry and coaches aren't going to be able to focus on you that much. Not really. At that age. But then, okay, now sophomore year, what are you doing? Sophomore, honestly, it's not that different. Honestly, it really isn't. Like, you're definitely getting watched more sophomore year, but like, we're probably investing most of our time now at Dartmouth into recruiting juniors, right? Now we're watching sophomores, but 80, 90% of our recruiting time right now is taken up by juniors. But when we sign this junior class, which is probably going to be finished in the middle of August, we don't start from fresh. We don't have a blank slate and we start adding sophomores to it. We clear aside the junior class and we've already got a Google Drive full of sophomores that we've seen at a camp somewhere that have been on campus that we've watched in a game. So you can, 
it's not does it does being on that list first mean you're going to sign for Dartmouth? No, but it is not without value to be ahead of the game and already on that and already performing at the level that you noticed. And I say Dartmouth, but the more schools that have you on that list, the better spot you're going to be in. So it's an exercise in patience of, well, you know, you say reach out to these schools and I'm doing it, but nothing's happening. You don't know that nothing's happening. All you know that is you're not hearing back actively. But honestly, as desperate as kids are for communication, in the sophomore year, I can call you and I can introduce Dartmouth, you know, and we can talk. And then what? I don't know yeah. where you are in the depth chart yet. I don't even know who we're signing the class above you, so I don't know where the holes are. I don't know your test scores. So now what? We just hang out and talk twice a month for the next year? Not really. You know, a lot, a lot of parents and a lot of kids want that, but there's not really a year's worth of information to say. Yeah. So you will find intermittent communication that doesn't necessarily denote a lack of interest. Yes. All right. Now, so I understand that completely as well. So let me let me do an aside, and then we'll get to the junior year. All right. You know, in American basketball, it's not uncommon for a high school coach to have connections with colleges and call the colleges and are like, listen, I got a kid you need to see. And we know AAU, which is our equivalent of club soccer, we know those guys make big business in getting those kids in front of college recruiters or something. At least I'm told. Now, I don't know. I don't know all the reality. Uh, but they do at least purport themselves or sell themselves as being able to get the kid on these AAU teams into uh, and, and seen by college coaches at different um at different tournaments and stuff. Now, one difference, I know one difference from what I can see with the AAU teams is it's a lot easier to make a team versus how our clubs are pretty pretty static. So yeah. it's, it's because it's basketball. So, you know, you only need five people. On. So I, I've, I've had coworkers whose kids have gone through this and literally um, a famous coach will create a team for that reason and then start showcasing them around and that's basketball so i guess i'm asking are you are there club coaches that you have relationships with or maybe not you personally or maybe or how the industry works that just like scouting in england will call you and say i have a kid you really need to check him out or her out yes lots am i going to sign a kid just to keep my friend happy not really you know, I've, I've actually been in a position where I've had phone calls from guys who, I when I was in high school, I had a season ticket and I was watching their games. And we they want me to sign their player. The player's not that good. And the second I sign that player, this guy's not going to want to talk to me no more. Mm -hmm. so, you know, so does that dynamic exist? Yes, it does. Is it as powerful as people would suggest? I don't think so. I read the things you read and I hear the things you hear. Mm -hmm. And I see, you know, these people sort of painting themselves as having a key to a certain school or an admission to a certain school. And what I will tell you is we've all seen a certain Netflix documentary that is going to have those people under a very intense spotlight going forward to the point that they may die out. But what you can't substitute in soccer is we know the MLS level, we know the academy level, we know the premier level. So it's not as just about the team that you are on. 
It's about who you are consistently playing against. It's a real tough landscape to just create a pop-up team and compete at the same level as a FC Dallas, right? It's real, it's real tough for Landon Donovan to round up 15 neighborhood kids and put a schedule together that the San Jose Earthquakes youth team have. So I don't know that it's as real a thing in soccer as it is in basketball. I do see some little kind of versions of that. I don't think it's as powerful as they those people would like you to believe. So, yeah, no, I don't think so either. And in AAU culture, is just different from club culture anyways. I'm not, again, no judgment, but it's just different. So, all right. All right, so I got that. Now it's your junior year. You have not gotten any interest from any colleges yet. What are you – but you're really good. Let's assume for – this control for that. You're good. You're a division one caliber player. Uh, the parent is not completely crazy. We have something. What are we doing intentionally what, what to yeah, give Faith, you the best shot you can get? Things should be happening in junior year. They should be, you know, you should be sending out at the start of the year. Here's my name. Here's my grades. Here's my club team. Here's my league schedule. Here's my tournament schedule. You know, he's any camp showcase schedules. Get that out on mass at the start of the year. So, um, so let me interrupt you there. Are you, as the um, student and the parents, sending out those individual emails? Are you hiring an agency? I guess I, I don't I know exactly how it works. Do it myself, I would copy and paste it. I would. A big thing is, you know, when you get your league schedule and it's kind of the got spot link or whatever. Yeah. And the link. And the reason I say that is when they change the field and when they change the kickoff time and when they reschedule the game, if you've copied and pasted your schedule, the 50 schools, you now have to go do that again. If you sent the link and they click on the link, all the changes are made within the link. Same with the tournament schedule. Send the link from the tournament website. Here is my schedule. When they change the kickoff time, when they change the field number, when they change this or that, you're now not under the burden of having to tell every school that what you just sent them is false information. Always send the link. Does that make sense? No, it, de it definitely does. So, so then let me cut you off. So these are cold calls at the moment. Yes. And, and, uh, and presumably you're including your video in there. Yes. yes. And I'm going to ask you a dumb question, um, which is actually not hard for me. You're telling me kid sends you cold email you click on the link of their video and you're like wow okay this he has some potential then what do you do then do you invite next them no the next thing i do yeah chance of watching in a, in a video we need to see him live okay i look through the last the email what tournament is he at that we're at then that email gets dragged into the file for that tournament and then when we go to that tournament, the start of the week, I open that file. I get every kid's email that we've watched and liked the video. I start matching up the kickoff times and I plan my days. So we're watching half of him, half of him, half of him, half of him, half of him. So the next step from the email is always watch you live. Now, what a lot of kids want to do, and it's a waste of your time, and to an extent, a waste of mine, is you want eight, nine, ten different interactions before we watch you live why 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 would you drive hundreds of miles 
to visit the school if it's a soccer thing before we've watched you live, knowing all along that as soon as we see you live, we may or may not like you. And it kind of sends a bad message if you have a great amount of anxiety as a player or a family that you want all these things to happen before we see you play. Why is that? Mm. What are you worried about? You know, so you got you to gotta be somewhat calm here. You're going to be like, here's my schedule. Here's where I play. Come watch me. And then after people have seen you play, everything changes. You either get your answer if they stop on you or they start to want your grades. They start to want you on campus. They start to want to have conversations. Maybe you sent a lengthy resume that didn't get read in the initial email because it was one of a hundred emails, but now they've liked your player. So they're going to read it in depth and they got some questions. That email is almost like fishing bait. You cast the rod out, they come watch you live, and then you're going to start getting your bites. So then, um, and, and is that where the ID camp comes into play as well? Because that's an opportunity to guarantee they're going to see you live. The ID camps are supplemental, right? Like, you know, you don't want to see a kid at your ID camp and have him never play again. Like, you don't want kids who are just going around ID camps and not playing on teams. But what you do want to do is have a kid who's playing, you've seen him live, and they come to the ID camp. It's it's more exposure. Here's a story for you. I, and this is, I won't name the kid, but it's not the kid's fault. There's a goalkeeper we're watching. And I make a drive out to uh, somewhere in New England. I'm going to keep this vague to watch two prep school games in the same day. And I have to leave one prep school game at halftime to get to another game. And the first game I'm there to watch the keeper. So I sit there, drive my two and a half hours, get my chair, sit down, pen and paper out. Halftime comes, his team's six nil up and he hasn't made a save. I still have to leave. Not his fault, but I don't know much about him, Neil. I know mm -hmm. he's a good size. I know he communicates well. I know he stays engaged. That's about it. Haven't seen him deal with a cross. Haven't seen him deal with a 1v1. Haven't seen him under pressure. Haven't seen him make any saves. Not his fault, but I've went to watch his game and left with a lot of questions to the point that I can't now go back to the office and say, this is our guy. Now, that doesn't happen at ID camps because if I like a keeper at an ID camp, a, we get to coach him. It's the only time we can legally coach recruits. And B, I'll just put him on the worst team. I'll stack the teams against him. I'll put him in drills with three defenders against five attackers. I'll put him in a drill where he has to deal with 50 crosses in 10 minutes. I will see what I want to see over the course of four hours at a camp because I will manipulate everything to see what I want to see. It's a real advantage for us to be able to do that. And often at ID camps, you know, especially in the junior year, you've got three or four players of the same position and you're going to pick one. Well, how more simplistic is it and how much more accurate is it to have all these guys here on the same field right in front of us instead of projecting, yeah, this guy looked good and he was at his high school in Arkansas and this guy didn't look that good. But to be fair, he was at an MLS Academy game in Texas, so maybe a bit of high-level opposition. This guy looked good, but he was kind of mid-level Disney with his Cali club team. How do you even start to project who's better and worse? It's real difficult. So it's a, the more we can see someone right in front of our own eyes, the more certainty you make this guess. And every recruiting decision is a guess of how he's going to pan out for four years after you sign him. Mm -hmm. 
So have you ever made the proverbial offer on the spot at an ID camp? On the spot, no. On the spot, no. Uh, what I've always done and what we continue to do at Dartmouth is I've seen a kid at the camp and I've thought to myself, yes, this is our guy. And then you know what else I've done? I've calmed myself down and slept on it because that's a wise bit of life advice for everything, right? Mm-hmm. And then when the camp is over, I've let it die down. I've spent two weeks thinking of all the kids at camp because usually you don't run one camp, you run multiple camps. And you start to get a depth chart of, okay, here's number one, two, three, four, and five in each position. Let's go left back just arbitrarily. My number one left back. Do I love him? Yeah, I do. Did I offer him in a spot? No, I didn't. Are we signing a left back? Yes. Okay, he's still in a good spot. Now let's get all these transcripts out over to admissions. Now it comes back. My number one left back is now the fifth strongest transcript. So if I want to sign him, I'll have to work really hard in admissions. So now there's this midfielder I like who I probably wouldn't be able to have and this forward who I like who I probably wouldn't be able to have. So maybe I can now go with the second or third best left back who is much stronger academically and also have these two players on top. Now it starts to get complicated. And now you've got three coaches in the room usually with different opinions, throwing them around and arguing. These things take a long time. You know, usually we will finish our last ID camp. Well, I know not usually. Like this year, it'll be August 6th. Probably going to be two or three weeks between August 6th and the first round of offers going out. And the rounds of elimination will be how we rank players and three coaches aren't going to rank them the same. How their academic index numbers come back and which combination of positions we're going to sign within the class. But yeah, I mean, do you get all jacked up over a kid and excited and want to just offer him there and then? Yes, you do. I haven't done it yet. Not saying I never would, but I haven't done it yet. Yeah, never say never. Okay, so your particular ID camp, let's talk about it. Soccer, is it soccer academics? Soccer academics, yeah. Soccer academics. So tell us about it. Tell us how it works. Tell us the, uh, the details and the dates as well. And we'll also put that in the show notes. Yeah. And I'm going to jump the gun because uh, I want to ask this question about it as well. And you can answer it in how you, how you do the intro. Is it in response? Did you change the format uh, based on COVID? Or um, yes and- this is something that you've always kind of wanted to do or, or what? Yes and no. Yes and no. We've always had a residential camp. And before COVID, we ran a very successful satellite event um, in Maine. Soccer academics, 120 kids, went real well. Then we had 110 kids signed up in Arizona, which for what was going to be a success, and that was literally the week that the NBA player touched all the microphones and got COVID <laughs> and the world shut down. So that was literally that week. Up until two days, I thought I was flying to Arizona to do that. And then... Uh, then COVID happened. So it wasn't all because of COVID. It was in the works. What I think COVID has done is it made it, is it significantly enhanced the operation. We're not running a residential camp at Dartmouth this summer. You know, like there is some complications in terms of being able to offer a fully functional residential ID camp where kids can play fully health-wise on campus, that A, keeps them safe, within college rules and B allows them to show themselves in an 11 v 11 soccer environment. And we're also unconvinced 
that parents around the country want to send their kids to live in college dorms right now with 200 kids that they've never met from different parts of the country. So there is no residential camp. So what we've done is took that soccer academics model and we're going to run it in 10 different states. So we're going to, our ID model is going to be 10 different one day events in different areas. It has a slight disadvantage in terms of the kids don't see campus. We don't get them for quite as long and we don't get to have our four day trajectory of events, but it has an advantage in terms of where going to you. So I think within the markets that we're hitting, we're going to get a greater range, a greater number and a greater level of player rather than waiting to see who can travel to Hanover, New Hampshire. Okay. And so when does it start and what are some of the dates? And I'm presumably it's going to, it's on your uh, website, right? Yeah. So the seven link, uh, seven sites are confirmed on the website now. And the three that aren't, we're just waiting on times and dates of field. And as soon as that is, you know, solidified, they'll go out there. So I'll read you the outline now and I'll send you the link. July 1st, Lewiston, Maine. July 7th, Marlborough, Massachusetts. July 12th, New Jersey. July 14th, Hartford, Connecticut. And that's at Dillon Stadium, home of Hartford Athletic Pro Team. July 16th, Downington, Pennsylvania. July 26th, Rock Hill, South Carolina. And then late July, dates TBA. Raleigh, North Carolina, Atlanta or Marietta, Georgia, and Tampa, Florida. And the final event will be August 6th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Oh, wow. So that's a, that's a um, straight up road show. I used to work in banking and that was uh, one of our, one of our things. Like you literally be on the road. So you guys, you guys can get some miles. So I happen to be from a very small town. Oh, I, say, I see the link. So I'll post the, the link to it in the show notes, post it on the Facebook group. I'll pin it to the top of the youth soccer coaching group. And, you know, we just want to get the word out there. And then I know Buford, he'll, uh, he'll really help promote it as well. So um, I happen to be from a town called Clover, South Carolina, which is adjacent to Rock Hill. No way. Funny enough, right? So, yeah. And, and Rock Hill has grown exponentially. Yeah, and then I live in and I live in Cary, which is adjacent to Raleigh. So I'll probably see you at, at one of these just to check it out. And if you see me bring my eleven-year-old <laughs> to try to get a head start, uh, don't call me crazy. You know, but I might introduce <laughs> you to him as well. Make sure you bring a, bring us a T-shirt when you come down south. I will. Um, I actually think this is going to be the beginning of bigger things. These satellite programs. You may end up teaming up with some of the other schools. And uh, I actually, I happened to go to, a, happened to have gone to an HBCU. I went to Morehouse College. And I actually see this as something that um, maybe even our HBCUs can start doing in terms of recruiting. They may already do it. But where you leverage resources and you meet the people um, where they are at. So for the folks who are listening on audio, even though we're going to link it in the show notes, let's go ahead and say the name, uh, the URL of the website. Uh, www.socceracademics.com. Okay, so soccer academics. And um, man, so this is great. All right, so we talked about U.S. soccer a little bit. We talked about soccer here and um, uh, comparing it to the U.K. We really got a bird's eye view of how the recruiting process works. What I took away from it is in in the ninth grade, Focus on your craft, focus on your academics, focus on the foundations, 
uh, on the foundation so that you have something to work with. Focus on the things you control and don't um, don't stress too much out about it. Sophomore yeah. year, you may start floating out some uh, emails. You may visit a few ID camps as well. That way you can get the jitters out. That way you can kind of see sort of where you stack up against. You're going to get exposed, presumably, to some of the top players in that area, right? And then you'll be able to take that experience back to your club, and hopefully you'll be better for it. So I heard that. Then I heard junior year, especially if you're talented, you really need to be on the grind. You, you need to cast a larger, large net with your emails, include some good video in it. Don't expect, you know, um, a 10-page letter back from the coaches. But if you are of interest to them, they will – now, clarify this. Do you then reach out to them and say, hey, we notice you're going to be at this tournament and we're going to be there? Or Here's what, I, know. what I would do. Send a – Email out the start of the year with your league schedule on the tournament schedule. Yeah. And every single tournament, there's another reason to reach out. Here's the tournament. Here it is. Here's my game schedule. Every league game you play, you know, tournaments, everyone's there, right? You get hundreds of scores of tournaments. But league game, local teams. So if you play a game in rally, schools in and around driving distance of rally, it's reasonable they might come out for a one-shot. So you just email those schools. Okay. And then if you play a game in Atlanta, you just email those schools. So you're in a position where you can always, without being repetitive and redundant, consistently reach out to schools. And again, if they're ignoring you, is everyone ignoring you or is this one school ignoring you? And, you know, usually focus your attention to where you're getting reciprocation, where you're getting energy back. You'll have a more productive experience because it's okay to, to be ambitious. But if, you, if you're going to knock on a door for two years and, your primary strategy is to cross your fingers and hope it still opens two years later. You'd be shocked how many people just take that strategy. It's not a wise one. These people are aggressive recruiters who are recruiting somebody. And if it's not you and somebody else is recruiting you, it's not a great idea just to automatically discard the school. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. And you never know what you're going to, you, you may end up liking it as well. So now let's go to the end of the spectrum. I got two more closing questions on this. When is it too late? Like, okay, senior year, like, what are you doing? So you, you haven't been recruited. Senior year, it's never too late. You know, we've all seen Rudy and there's walk-ons and this and that. But it's expectation. It's what do you want? If you want athletic money, senior year is too late. It's very unlikely that athletic money will have not been allocated to the class when the senior year starts. If you want admission support for Ivy League, senior year is too late. Our admissions departments require that information and those reads done well ahead of time. Um, if you want to go to the school and walk on and the coach has said that you, that you can have a walk on and you get there if you get in by yourself, then fair enough. But just know what that is, you know, and it's, it's not always a fair fight walk on. If somebody has got athletic money or if someone has been used an admission slot on and you outperform them, you might still not make the team because if they've invested money in them and you know, they've invested an admission slot in them, we're all well aware of how biased people can be and the consequences of admitting to such an error that maybe, you know, the, the walk on kid gets shortchanged. So I would, I would say ideally most kids are going to be making decisions the summer of the junior year in terms of verbal commitments. 
Okay, so no, another um, question that I would have, and, and oh, by the way, I'm gonna pose, I, I intentionally didn't ask all the questions that Buford from the soccer parent group asked, because I'm gonna post his interview in the Facebook group. Because awesome. So he asked a lot of good questions. So I, I do have one more specific one, which is, let's say you are like, your lights out and you're on the cusp of being a professional. But, you know, and I actually don't know exactly how to ask this, but you are, see, I understand in England, right? So you get signed by an academy, right? So you're playing for Manchester United Academy. Well, and like, let me give you another example, a real example. Like our club director's son happens to play for um, Atlanta United Academy. Yeah. So when he gets ready to graduate high school, if he plays for Atlanta United Academy, does he lose his NCAA um, eligibility? No. Or, or is there a situation where you can play one year and see, or play a year or something and see how you do? Atlanta United Academy is a youth team. That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean Atlanta anything. United 2 is their professional team. Totally different deal to the academy. If he played for Atlanta United 2 and receives only actual and necessary expenses, there are scenarios where you can play in that pro league before college. Now, when you get in college, you cannot go back and play in the summers in between. little bit of a curveball, but that's what it is. So you'll get... You know, I watched Jackson Gilman, who was going to Pitt, play for Philadelphia Union 2 against Hartford a couple of weeks ago. The summer before, I watched Adam Lungard, who's going to Clemson, play against Hartford for Loudoun United. Um, so, but they're, they're pro games. It's USL Championship professional games. But the academy? No, nah, that's not to do with anything. Atlanta United U18s is no different compliance-wise to any U18 team in America. Okay. All right, so, so the youth system, you're youth. There is a window there where you can play professionally as long as you're just getting, I'll say, stipend for lack of a better term. Yeah, you're going to need to – every kid would have to run that by the compliance officer, but it does happen every year. Okay, and then, and then that kind of gives you an opportunity. And then if you're, like, really good, you may decide, I'm going to pursue the pro, pro route yeah. or I'm going to go the NCAA route. Yeah, usually if you're really good – and you're going to go pro, you know, and they tell you. And if you're thinking maybe, then that's what it is. It's maybe. And okay. that's where it might not be as good an idea to skip college. Yeah, exactly. Now, and then the final question on this, where do the international students play in this? And then we're going to talk about Facebook again. Two extremes. I mean, one, from- is, one extreme is we're losing, you know, and let me say it like this. The number of international students that make up the college landscape is evident of how poor U.S. soccer is. That's one extreme. And then I don't know if there's another extreme. So how? So right before I let you go, how does that work? Like, literally. I mean, it goes school by school. Yeah, it goes school by school. At Dartmouth in admissions, we have one international spot in the admission cycle per year. Really? You will see a maximum of one student athlete supporting in admissions by men's soccer per year. So, I mean, that is what it is. We don't really get to play around with that now. Some some Division two schools have high international students, but you know what people don't want to speak about a lot? There's a lot of American kids 
who are recruited heavily by D2 schools who don't want to go. They either want to go D1 or they want to go to high academic D3. So are these heavily populated international D2 programs reflective of the ability of the American soccer player? Or are they reflective of an athletic culture in American college sports where D2 is less attractive? That's the truth. How do we answer that? I don't really know. But there is definitely thousands of American quality players recruited aggressively by D2 schools every year who choose not to go there and those spots go to international players. Thousands of examples of that. Oh, I totally see it. I mean, my sons are so young that it's embarrassing to talk about it, but I would definitely rather them go to Morehouse, right, on an academic scholarship than play, you know, it's so many variables, but just for the purposes of this, then go to the middle of nowhere to play soccer at a lower academic school. So I, I totally get it. Okay. And that's a good perspective. But what we're saying there is that's the, that's the highest concentration of internationals that you're going to see, but to directly pin that to the ability of an American player is extremely naive and using extremely limited information. Oh man. No, Hey, no offense taken. (laughs) Uh, I mean, but I've heard that argument so many times and you see it every year when people post a roster of pick a school, right? It's always selective. Pick a school, they post a roster and say, look, this is evident of the, of, uh, you know, the deficiencies in U.S. soccer. And I had no, I didn't even well, think All about I will that. say is a lot of these things that are American issues. I spent 15 years of my life hearing that all the foreign players in the Premier League had ruined England's national team. And there was no good England players coming through because we were all, we were giving all the minutes to all the foreign players. Kind of not how it's playing out, is it? Yeah, I know. That was a I know. Massively concrete accepted narrative for decades. Yeah, and you hear that's what I tell people all the time. And it's 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 a very unique perspective when you see both sides of the pond. Yeah. Right. And 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 then you try to be a little open-minded about it. Okay, so I'm gonna wrap this up. Neil Crawford, I'm your host, and I really appreciate appreciate you, Stuart, joining us. I'm going to post this in the Facebook group. I'm going to do a quick, I'm going to do a blog post as well. I'm going to put this on YouTube so people can find out about it. I'm really going to encourage our, um, our parents of our younger children to listen to this interview and then reach out to you personally on the Facebook group if they have questions about yeah. how the process works. And I tell everybody... Part of what we're trying to do with the Facebook group is create a, an environment where people can ask these questions and not be, um, uh, you know, made to feel embarrassed because they want to know what are the chances of my kid being able to play in college. I need to be able to ask this. It's not about trying to, um, you know, will your kid to do something that you want them to do. It's really just about getting the clear, uh, clear, concise, clear answers to what it takes. And uh, I love what you said about ID cams. I do think they are extremely important. I look at them as no different than a networking conference or a job fair, right? Yeah. Um, and you wouldn't just go to one. Right? <laughs> right. You try to go to as many as you can and then start narrowing it down. And if no one picks up your resume, that should tell you something as well. So I love all of that. And uh, I look forward to meeting you guys in person when you get to the Carolinas. Um, Hopefully the weather will be nice. 
And thank you so much. So I'll, I'll let you have the last word um, and then we'll wrap it up. We're coming from New Hampshire. You better have nice weather for us, Neil. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. Okay, so this is Neil Crawford with Anytime Soccer Training. I just sat down with Stuart Flaherty, coaching coach at Dartmouth College, who just talked to us about soccer academics, ID camp. They're doing a whole road show. Um, we'll post the show notes. It's going to be wonderful. And I really, really, really encourage those um, student athletes out here who are listening to attend it, even if it's just for the experience. But you never know. It could be your ticket to change your life. All right, guys, let's get better together.